All right, everybody, this is our, one of our special Gen Con episodes. You are not going to get a, an individualized introduction for each of our Gen Con episodes, so this is the one that you'll hear over and over again. I am at Gen Con right now, uh, or was just at Gen Con, covering all kinds of things from Wizards of the Coast. I'm also going to be attending uh, the Kobold Press seminars, uh, going to some press events and more, possibly some interviews and that kind of stuff, so expect some more of that coming out, including this episode. And don't forget, these are relatively unedited. All I'm doing is slipping in the intro to the episode and the ad from our wonderful sponsor, Noble Knight Games. Otherwise, it is pure, unadulterated Gen Con material. And speaking of unadulterated, that means we're not responsible for the content. Some of it may be risky. We're looking at you, Matt James. Uh, (laughs) We'll try to outline that in the show notes, so pay attention. And remember that large, sometimes loud convention rooms or exhibit halls or giant floors where there's a recording going on and a thousand people standing around, that will impact some of the audio quality. It may not be the best audio quality, but I guarantee you that the content will be the best content from Gen Con. And as we move into the the content that you're looking for... The, the thing that you're tuning in for here, we should mention, again, our sponsor is Noble Knight Games at noblenight.com. Check them out. They're a great game store specializing in out-of-print materials, but also carrying the newest in, in game books and, and other materials. Uh, so check them out and make sure to tell them that the Tome Show sent you. And with that, enjoy the coverage from Gen Con. Noble Knight is a long-standing game store specializing in finding out-of-print games while also offering the newest great releases. Including D&D? They got it from any edition. That's right, all of them. What if I want a board game? Card game, minis, or dice? Noble Knight has it all, and at a discounted price. In fact, Noble Knight has over 30,000 unique items on stock. And you know you can trust this Better Business Bureau accredited store with a satisfaction guarantee. Yeah, but I've bought too many things over the years. How can I justify spending even more? Good thing we're talking about Noble Knight, then. They'll buy your old gaming things and offer you cash or trade, so you'll be able to keep up with all the great gaming stuff you want. Check them out at noblenight.com. Wow, I'll go today. And be sure to tell them the Tome Show sent you. There's con reports, freebies. We try to make it full of good stuff about once a month, sometimes twice if we're really lucky. Um... And if you think it's spam, unsubscribe. But I, I promise you, we have a cartography contest happening right now. It's going to be announced as soon as the show's over. And uh, and we're going to have our next adventure design or monster design contest. We haven't decided. We're going to need a new cartographer with Jonathan Roberts uh, ascending to the vast yeah, heavens he, he of West. He suddenly got beyond our pay grade. Yes, so. yes he has. <laughs> but good for him. Great for Jonathan. Couldn't happen to a a nicer guy. Yeah. So we will introduce ourselves briefly. Um, and hey, I'm. Oh, hi. Oh, look, the late freelancer, the yeah. object lesson. Exactly. Uh, lesson number one if you're going to walk someplace, make sure you've got plenty of time. Mm, yes. Hey, Colin. How are you? I'm fine. Great. Uh, yeah, no, we're just getting started with introductions. Uh, I am Wolfgang Bauer, the founder and publisher of Cobalt Press, which last night won two gold ennies for the Cobalt Guide to World Building. Yeah. I'm pretty happy about that. Um, 
I work with a lot of freelancers. I used to be a freelancer. I got my break into the industry uh, writing for Dungeon Adventures, and later on they hired me as an editor there at TSR in Lake Geneva. Uh, so I've seen both sides of the freelancing fence. Um, I don't know. Let's, let's ask the man without a voice. Hi. <laughs> Just put me around a spot. My name's Ben McFarlane. I do not ordinarily sound like this. Um, I have freelance for Cobalt Quarterly, um, Cobalt Press. So it takes me time to convert over. Um, right Publishing, uh, Wizards of the Coast, mm -hmm. Paizo, and Atlas Games. Atlas. So, um, yeah, that's me. Good morning. My name is Brandon Hodge. Uh, I am a student of the the Open Design School of, of Freelancing, and um, I've been in the business now, I guess, four or five years. Uh, I got my start, again, with Wolfgang and Open Design and uh, various Cobalt Press endeavors, and uh, have done work for Green Ronin, uh, O1 Press, Cobalt Quarterly, and, uh, and I've written uh, some Paizo AP chapters like Shadows of Galaspire and Rasputin Must Die. Rasputin Must Die. Rasputin Must Die. Uh, I'm Colin McComb. I got my start at TSR back in the 90s, uh, and then I went to Interplay, where I worked on Planescape Torment, uh, and then I moved to Michigan and discovered there's no game industry in Michigan, so I became a freelancer. Uh, I worked with Mount Havoc Press, Monty Cook's old company, uh, Paizo, Cobalt Quarterly, and Cobalt Press, and uh, now I am the creative lead for Torment Tides of Numenera. Not shabby. Not bad at all. You did all right, kid. Uh, you know, maybe it'll lead to something. So, so that's how we broke in, and you'll notice we we all kind of took a different path into the industry. And we all wore black this morning. We all Take wore that shirt off. Come. Sorry. <laughs> You're always saying that. I'll wear black. I know. You said it differently last night. <laughs> right. It was a little, a little more night. seductively. Like yeah. That. Um. <laughs> I would thought you guys are going to be fancy. We thought about it. The bow ties went away. Um, Saturday Just morning panels, not quite as punchy as Sunday, but we're shooting for it. Yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> so I want to talk quickly. Or I want to ask you first. All right, how many of you have already published something as a freelancer? One or more pieces. Right. So about five. How many of you have submitted material to some kind of venue, like a magazine or somewhere? All right. A uh, couple more. And how many of you have a completed manuscript that you're not sure what to do with? Yeah. Oh, not too many. Maybe a couple. And how many of you would just like to get started but don't even know where to start? <laughs> okay. Um, so we'll have some advice for each of those categories. Those of you who've already had something published, congratulations. You're already like leveled up, level one freelancers, um, and are like as you saw here, ahead of 90% of the pack. Um, one of the first lessons of freelance life is uh, it's easier to get your second job when you've gotten your first job. I think each of us would say, yeah, yeah, that first one was a real bear, but the second one was a little easier because I could point to the first one. So let's spend some time talking about getting that first job. Um, and that's changed, right? I mean, you and I broke in in the early 90s. 
Brandon, you're a much more recent mm-hmm. uh, freelancer, right? Like the last three, four Yeah, like years. how Colin said, I got my start at TSR mm-hmm. as opposed to I eventually yeah. worked my way. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, no, a, big, it's a big it's, paradox. It's, now. It was, yeah, it was much easier for me to get into freelancing because I had the TSR credits to my right. name. And then, you know, I and Monty called me up. He's like, hey, do you want to work on this project with me? Right. And then after that, Sean Reynolds from Paizo said, by the way, if you're available, we've got some stuff for you. Yeah, It doesn't quite work that way yeah, anymore people, unless you have a friend that said, hey, I'm going to start a publishing company. I would yeah. totally recommend to each of you that you have that friend. Get someone else to start a hugely successful publishing company. Because yeah. <laughs> um, that's a lot of work. That's a separate panel. And uh, <laughs> and then hire you. So that's yeah. one method. It is. It is. But it, it does speak to the get your credits out there when you can because then you can point to that and people will say oh I know your work you do good work yep. please come work with me oh, yeah. that nice we'll, and then we'll talk about you know how to maintain that work later yeah uh, Brandon you want to talk about I want to get this out early because it's so fresh on my mind Wes Schneider from uh, Paizo shared this with me last night. Uh, him and Eric Mona and I, the publisher of Paizo, were having a conversation, and he said, it's, uh, it's amazing to me that more people don't take advantage of this loophole, so I'm going to share it with you guys this morning. I'm not saying I recommend it. I don't endorse it. It's sneaky. It's devious, but man... I like it already. It's crazy. Um, you know, yearly, there's this win-a-date-with-blank-publisher with auction here at Gen Con, and it's the Dream Date auction. And Dream Dates with publishers like Paizo can go for thousands of dollars, but Dream Dates with lesser-known publishers can go for a hundred bucks or so. I'm cheap. And they immediately said it could possibly be the, the best, easiest loophole into getting face-to-face with a publisher because the Dream Date takes place with pretty much everybody you need to talk to in the business assembled at one place at one time, and you've got one-on-one interaction with them. And that's not saying necessarily you have to win the Dream Date with the publisher you want to ultimately work with, but it will yeah. get you in the room with all the publishers. With 500 other industry yeah. people who are the art directors and the editors yeah. and publishers. For a hundred bucks or so, you know. Yeah. Which, you know. It's cheap. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know. So that, I, I didn't want to bring a shortcut in necessarily that, or maybe I should have waited till the end for that. But, but <laughs> it was, stick it's, around it's, for it's the been, end. Right. It's, our, been, it's been so fresh on my mind. I was like, wow, that would have come, come in handy, uh, you know. But it only happens once a year. You have to win the bidding. You need to show up and make a good impression. Right. I mean, it's a great shortcut. I would have grabbed it in a heartbeat. I I have. Oh, have you? Yes. Which publisher did you approach this way? I did not. Well, I kind of did it. Even more underhanded? A little bit. I went out a little sideways. For two years, I actually uh, was Matt Forbeck's dream date at the Ennies. Oh, geez, he knows everyone. Exactly. And Matt's a very nice guy. He'll introduce you to everyone. And he did. <laughs> and it was awesome. He was a great guy to hang out with. Um, and actually, one year was was even better. Well, I don't know, even better is quite the way to put it. One year, Matt was very kind, and he, he shows up, and he's like, hey, how are you? And and, and we, uh, he, he did the tour with me, and he's like, I'm so sorry but I'm going to have to leave early. So, <laughs> is there anybody you'd like Oh, no. <laughs> but to make it up to you, Is Fred, there Fred. anybody you'd like me to, to put you in the capable hands of before I go? And I was, was kind of like, hmm. 
and what I, I ended up doing is at the time I, I was really trying to work on the some, mage, right? Well, yeah, Ars Magica. Yeah. And so Jeff Tidball was at the show, and Jeff had been the line editor for Ars Magica Fourth Edition. So I thought, you know, what better way than to go pick the brain of the guy who wrote the last edition to better know how to work on this edition? And so I was like, well, do you think you can introduce me to Jeff Tidball? So oh, yeah, of course, of course. He goes over and he's like, hey, Jeff, this is Ben. And talk. <clears throat> For those of you who don't know, Matt Forbeck's gaming uh, resume is like seven pages long. Mm -hmm. And he stopped writing gaming material in favor of novels a few years back. He did. He did. So I mean, I jokingly call him the immortal freelancer, but it's not really a joke. He, he has been freelancing at this, like, forever. And he was wonderful. He's a very kind... You know, very, very generous individual, and he kind of showed me around. And then the next year, I was like, you know, that was fantastic, right? Because at the end, he's, everyone was there. Yeah. And I, I mean, and when they say everybody, it's almost like in the movie Professional, he's like, everybody. <laughs> and so I thought, you know what? I, I'm going to do this again. It was just too good. And, he, and besides, Matt had left early on me. So, uh -huh. so I bid on him again, and I won it the second time. And now it's kind of it was kind of a thing. You kind of start to at least a little way. You'd say you were seeing one another at that point. <laughs> hey, we had at least two dates. <laughs> Not everybody. Why didn't he call you back? He should have called you back. <laughs> I know. I know. He's got the fickle nature of freelancers. And I, I, I think I feel a little sleazy bringing up the you know the the, the ass kissing networking side of it this early in the oh, in the no, thing. But, it's never but it really early. is important. I, I would say though, uh, keep in mind that no one. Um, we're, we're we're people too. We don't want to talk business twenty four hours a day. It's it, it, developing just a normal relationship with the people you eventually want to work with is very important too. Just just because we're recommending, hey, you might want to check out this loophole and get a dream date with your right. publisher. That doesn't mean sit down with them and spend an hour and a half bowling them over with questions and trying to you know schmooze up to them. I mean, get to just get to know them. If they like you, they'll answer your email. Yep. You know, and and, and I think that's more important than trying trying to impress on them your your writing or editing skills or illustration skills or anything. Just you know, just, just cultivate just a normal relationship. You know, um, and it can start very small, right? Um, you, you basically have 364 days until the next any dream date. So right. you know that loophole is kind of out of commission for a year. But in the meantime, right? Uh, you're here at this great show. Every publisher has a booth or is doing panels. Uh, you can say hi. You can say, this is my name, this is my card, I have one credit, or I'm most interested in your setting or your rules. Or um, if you have no credits, you know, what are the what are your guidelines for freelancers? Do you right. have that printed out? Or yep. is there a place on your website I can find that out? Find the people you want to work with and start developing a relationship with them now. Yeah, even if I just know your name or I remember, did that guy give me a card? I can't remember. I lost all the cards. Right. You know, that's... Um, that's a sense of that person stands out from the pack mm -hmm. as somebody who took the trouble to say hi. Ask a question about their freelancer guidelines, yeah. Yeah. even if you don't really, even if you're not really confused about it. Yeah, you know, I was, over, you know, I was looking over your freelancer guidelines, and I have a question about, you know, this aspect of it, and that will spark oh, a conversation. Oh my God! You actually read the guidelines, right? What a golden freelancer that yeah. must be. Yeah. <clears throat> but he'll yeah. probably get this stuff in on. This time. is gold, y'all. Gold. <laughs> Write this down. But, but, but also, I think it's important to be familiar with their. Product line as well, so you can go and you can discuss, 
you know, not maybe even ask her. Ask questions about their freelancer guidelines and kind of ask about particular products. Like not, I don't know, I find it's not necessarily to go into the weeds about something like, why did you do, you know, right. why, why was this NPC named this and, and carrying this kind of thing? Yeah, a broader question is usually better. Something like, yeah. you know, I really like that thing you did. Are you going to expand on it? Yeah. Or are you going to do something else in that line? You like social, I, I know you have a lot of social adventures, why... You know, why do you head in this direction? Or yeah. I, I really have like you considered it. an urban exploration? Exactly. You know, because I see, you know, everything takes place in the woods. Just yeah. anything, anything that shows you're sort of aware of their catalog and what's going on there. Um, I would, I would caution, however, that if you are going to talk to somebody about their product line, you don't go in and say, "Why did you do it like this?" Yes. Because you should have done yes. it like this. Yeah. Because nobody wants to hear that they screwed up. And even you, when they screwed up, and they, they know they screwed up, they screwed up. Yeah, you can approach it in a much more diplomatic fashion. And if you guys want to be writers or artists or freelancers of any sort, you want to be develop those diplomatic skills early. So instead of saying this sucks and this is how I would fix it. They're going to be like, I'm not going to come to you because you suck and I'm not going to fix you. You want to, yeah, you, you want to make sure that you approach it in a way that sounds like, okay, you know, I'm, we had this problem at my table and this is the way I fixed it. And, you know, I think it would be cool to consider this yeah. as opposed to acting like you've got all the answers. Well, Even if you know you do. <laughs> Even if you have. Yeah. P- piggybacking from that, I always, like, I saw a, a, a very interesting, I guess it was, uh, Neil Gaiman giving an, a commencement speech. Oh, yeah. yeah. And, and he had said, well, he started off, and he's like, when I started off, I uh, I lied all over my, my resume. He's like, whatever you do, don't do that now. They'll catch you. <laughs> so, uh, that was useful. Google is too powerful. Exactly. <laughs> so, don't, so don't lie on your resumes now. They, they will find you. It's like, so what it is is that you you have to be nice, and you have to be good, and uh, and you have to be on time. Now pick two, <laughs> because you know it's it's usually nobody's perfect, right? He is, he is, and you know I like to make sure I'm on time. <laughs> and I figure if I've met you in in the booth or I'm at the show and you know that I'm nice, well, I've got those two covered kind of by default. So now it's going to be up to me to make sure that I'm good. <laughs> Or your editor. Or my editor. In Ben's case, anyway. Uh, I mean, it's we should talk about talent a little bit. Um, it's hard to talk about because it means different things to different people. you got to have your basic skills down, right? You need to have your system mastery down. Um, if you're excited about a property, chances are that you know that game or you know that publisher and you know their material then the next step is, you know, can you develop something original that still fits um, and that people will, will say, this is so well-constructed, it's worthy of publication. Um, it's, it's really tough as a publisher uh, to meet the nice people at the conventions who give you a card and then you send them, like, an editing test and it comes back and I'm like, yeah, okay, I won't be working with them. Because, um, you know, they're not up on their editorial craft or they, they turn over a blog entry or a, you know, a little a pitch. I say, wow, that's, that pitch would have been great five years ago. They're, they're not paying any attention to what, you know, we've been doing. Um, okay, not working with them. So um, it's easy to talk about timeliness, always meet your deadlines. It's easy to talk about networking and, and being a good person 
and honest when you meet publishers. Uh, talent in your craft, I don't know, we all do it differently. You do it <laughs> quietly in a room at a keyboard. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I just want to throw it out there as, yeah, you actually need to work at this. You need to put your butt in the chair and fingers on the keyboard and like hone your first manuscript like mad because you only make that impression once or your first editing test or whatever it is you're doing. Um, there's not a lot of second chances in yeah. freelancing. I mean, some people get them. They turn over something so stellar, though two months late, that people say, yeah, okay, it was late, but it was awesome. I must work with them again. Um, but don't count on that. Count on your first one being, hey, that was pretty good. Yeah, maybe this guy's got some potential. Um, and I, I say pay close attention to just to the craft of it, how it's done. Um, one example I use, it's, it's one of the, the Paizo rules, is, um, is five, shoot for 500 word encounters. Yeah. And, you know, Wolfgang, and I have seen manuscripts where, you know, here's an adventure for Kobold Quarterly. First of all, it's, it's the size of Kobold Quarterly, so it can't be printed in it. And then, Special in this issue, right. one article only. Yeah, exactly. And then the, the, the encounters are like 2,500 words for a single encounter in this huge, massive stat block that was meant to show off my amazing grasp of, of Pathfinder mechanics. Yeah, it showed an amazing lack of grasp of, of what is reasonably publishable. And so uh, I would say look at already what's out there by the publisher that, that you're aiming for and, um, and try to emulate, you know, the word count. I mean, grab the PDF, and, I, and I'll do this. That's how I learned it. Nobody told me yeah. encounters, you shoot for 500 words. I went to a PDF, and I grabbed them, and I started word counting them to see what a, you know average encounter size was. And it's Greg Vaughn writes an encounter, and it's 500, 550 words. Yeah. Oh, that's probably a good guideline. Yeah. You know, you want to save those 1,000 words, 700, 1,000, for your, your final encounters, but... You don't crack that, generally. Yeah. You know? uh, there's a difference between reading for pleasure and reading to analyze somebody else's work. right? And you probably did this, Colin, when you were like at Interscape and like breaking into video game writing. Um, yeah, playing games is not as much fun anymore. <laughs> playing, seriously, playing video games is not as much fun anymore because you're like, okay, so I understand. Okay, you know what? I'll bet if I open this door, the corridor turns left, and there's probably going to be a monster behind this door. Oh, look at that. There it is. Oh, look, I'm, I'm, look, I'm analyzing this for timing, pacing, and technique. Okay, well, we got that. Okay, I'll bet that we're going to see some sort of dull, gray, muted thing here on the floor. Oh, look at that. How about... I, it becomes a lot less fun when you're stopping to analyze it because you're like, okay, now I'm not playing this game anymore. I have to do this professionally. Uh, yeah, right. But you're also learning what not to do. You're yeah. like, I don't want to have the corridor that turns left with a monster on it because... You know, it's kind of gamers going to expect that. Well, but you might also say, you know, those dull gray floor tiles—they have a purpose. Yeah, they—they they don't draw visual interest to the floor. Right, right. Mm -hmm. We want to draw. Yeah, and and like playing playing, you know, a uh, a Bioware game, for instance. Now I know exactly how the uh, the dialogue uh, system works. So it's like, okay, and just you know, pick one of these. Oh, look, they've highlighted this one, so it must be the right choice. And when. <coughs> yeah. <coughs> oh, I've got the dialogue skill. It's the instant win. Okay, well, this system's broken. Um, I, it, you you do have to pay attention to the craft, and it does kind of suck the fun out of it. But at the same time, if you want to be a professional, you need to accept that you know the fun is still in there, but it's going to be your job to do Yeah, and I would argue it doesn't suck the fun out of it forever. There comes no. a point where you have such mastery of like the analysis, right? It's like you do that stuff without thinking anymore. It's just like learning to write well-constructed English, right? You, right? At one point, you were like, I don't know. 
how do I write, right? Mm-hmm. Grade yeah. school, hmm, sentence, paragraph, theme. I'm just writing words until I fill the page. And, well, seriously, right? Don't you do that as a freelancer? No. <laughs> but uh, it's just another skill at a higher level, right? Where it's like, okay, I understand dungeon design, I understand character design, I understand dialogue tree design. Um, and, and maybe it still sucks the fun out of it because it is intense work, but but you aren't uh, doing as much analysis once you've mastered a particular rule system or style of play. Right. The the problem is it turns you into a creep-and-save kind of player, though, too, because you want to experience everything. Yes. Oh, yeah. How many here are interested in writing versus illustrating? Writing. Writing. Versus Uh cartography. Any mappers? So all all writers here, then? Okay. What about an editor, maybe? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right, good, 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 good. Oh, happy to see that. Y'all are really the important ones. Hey, now! <laughs> well, what? The cartographers always I'm serious. <laughs> they have the sweet tail. Yeah. Cartography is... It's an even smaller pool of freelancers, though, than writers or editors or layout people. I mean, I can. It doesn't have the sexy till you win an inning for a random house book, but right. Me, um, but come on, how many working cartographers are there in the field? It's like I can yeah. name like the top Small five. Yeah. You can do five. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. yeah. Chris West, Rob Lazaretti. Sure. Blanda. Yeah. Jonathan yeah. Roberts, Mike. Sean. Sean. Sean McDonald, and there we are. Nice. And we're done here. Yeah. <laughs> Mario Barbati. Mm-hmm. All right, <laughs> but yeah, it's it's tough. Um, all right, we're going to talk mostly about writing and editing then. I think. Yeah, I think so. I, I Which is good because uh-huh. <laughs> I don't know how to do cartography. <laughs> yeah, no. Photoshop. Go to the cartographer's guild. Don't teach you anything. Um, no, I found one thing that was very useful for me. And when they say about honing your craft, building your writing skills, um, I worked on a fanzine for a while, right? Because that's a that's usually a place where you can explore aspects of the system. Oh, and it's a great way to get, you know, your name on a, a byline on a sure. couple of things. Mm-hmm. Sure. But it gives you a space to to not only hone that craft, right? Because they will take your word space, they want to build their fanzine, but they also are more open to to writers maybe exploring what you're gonna do with the system, mm-hmm. to exploring what you're gonna do with the setting. And um, and so that was very useful, I found to me, and it was it was nice because after a couple of good articles, and one of the you know one of the guys from the line who was saying to the editor, can we can we at least talk to Ben about maybe occasionally freelancing because I'm I'm tired of stepping on his stuff from the fanzine, which was nice, but it, it, it's a good way to do that too because anybody who has a, a fanzine, a publisher with a fanzine, is going to read that fanzine as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They want to see what people are doing with it. Oh, sure. The Paizo guys all read Wayfinder. Particularly when it wins any's. When it wins any's. So. I'm itchy to see the very first issue of Yggdrasil, which is the recently announced mm-hmm. Midgard fanzine that is currently open for submissions. And man, nothing hint, makes hint, an... Hint, hint, yeah, hint, hint. hint. Uh, put out by an Australian fellow, Morgan, who um, I, I think he's sort of at the stage of trying to figure out who his stable of regulars are, right? So getting in early with any publication is so wonderful. Not just periodicals and fanzines, mm-hmm. but getting in with a new rules system, right? If you're one of the first people to write new stuff for 13th Age or Numenera or any game that has been released here at the show... Um, 
you know, you may have a shot at a longer-term freelance uh, track with that. Um, you got to be Johnny on the spot with the stuff and able to turn over like a cool pitch and know who the people are. I don't even know if Numenera is looking for any like I don't know. fanzine stuff, blog content, whatever. But you could find out. Yeah, yeah. I and mean, David Brown, uh, the editor of Ninth World Hub, is here, and I'm sure he's looking for people to contribute stuff. And you know, I now is the time to get in and talk to him. He's hanging out at the Numenera booth. If you guys are interested in doing Numenera stuff, he's the guy to talk to. Because he is, like, one step removed from Monty and Shauna. Right. And he can point out people who are really cool. Yeah. But again, the... He, he was a fan, too. Yeah. He's just a fan. Yeah, he, he just put something together because he thought it was awesome. And um, it was. And, and he's starting his own publishing company, so, you know, a David Brown. Yeah. It's a ninth... Ninth, ninth, ninth World Hub. Yeah. Ninth World Hub is the site... Thought it'd save your voice a little bit. <laughs> yeah, but the, the the really important thing I want to stress is that there is, you can't be a freelancer if you don't have a manuscript. You, I mean, and pe mm. people are going to ask you for samples. If you don't have something published, they're going to want to see something you've written. Yep. And if you don't have anything written, they're like, well, send me something. And then you've got to learn how to write really fast and really well at the same time. Mm -hmm. So I would recommend having something that you have polished that you can then pass over. Right. It, um, well, and there's another route too to oh, yeah. freelancing gigs, and that is the contest, oh, which yeah. Wolfgang is intimately familiar with. Uh, oh, God. Think examples such as RPG Superstar, Star. Judge that, uh, King so of Monsters. Um, what well, else? What else is the in Valhalla there? Calling yeah, Valhalla Calling for Adventure Design? That was correct. Talk about that. Sure. Um, I ran the Valhalla. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Make me pimp my contest. Hold on. Uh, <laughs> uh, you can feel the puppet hand working. Um, no, it, Valhalla Calling was a, a contest to write uh, an adventure pitch uh, for something that would be published by Cobalt Press. And we got a fair number of entries. Frankly, I was looking for, hey, let's find some new talent, right? Let's find somebody who... Um, it's essentially the same reason that RPG Superstar exists. RPG Superstar runs in round after round after grueling round of, um, you know, give us a wondrous item, give us a monster, give us an archetype, give us an encounter, now give us the pitch for the whole thing. Um, it's very hard to make it all the way through RPG Superstar. The prize, of course, is a contract from Paizo. Valhalla Calling is much less grueling um, because we just have one round. And we get less submissions because we're a small press. But the prize is fairly similar. You get a contract to write an adventure that will be published, and you're going to be paid. So, you know, it's not a contest of, eh, write us something cool, we won't pay you, we'll just put it on our blog. I mean, we're serious. We're looking for somebody who we're going to work with in the future. Uh, and contest winners in the past have done, gone on to do cool stuff. Adam Daigle won the King of the Monsters contest. Well, now he's sort of Mr. Monster um, as a developer at Paizo, right? Yeah. So my whole start was not quite an open call contest, but in open design, which functioned yeah. differently at the, at the time. Uh, the first round was, all right, we're going to write this adventure anthology, so everybody submit your pitches. And I believe I beat out Mr. Pet did. with the first 400-word pitch that I ever submitted in any sort of RPG fashion. Uh -huh. And uh, 
I ended least. up writing two chapters in a five-chapter anthology, as well as seventy thousand words or something crazy for the for the the accompanying books. You so, worked your butt off, but it certainly I'll never do that again. It made a huge impression. It's like wow, Brandon has totally rocked this project. It was like he sprang. I was like a I was like a teenager about to lose oh it, right? God, it, was, it was nuts. Well, and it's the same way with other contests, right? You see people in RPG Superstar who like round after round are really knocking it out of the park, and then you see people who are like making the cut just barely. Um, so contests eat a ton of time. Your odds may be slim. Some of it is whimsical. What do the judges think? What do the voters think? Mm-hmm. Um, but honestly, the better stuff tends to float to the top. And even if you don't make the top slot, yeah. if you're in the top four, it get you on the map. Oh, yeah, come on. I, that's what happened. Neil, Neil Spicer. Did Jim Gross. Yes. Yeah. I, I was talking to Wes uh, Schneider the other day, and I said, you know, I, I still need to have a stack of people for Torment. And he said, Neil Spicer. Yes. Right off the top of his head. I'm like, all right. I, the guy was unknown, what, four years ago? Who, who else Who else did he bring up? Colin? No, nobody. <laughs> We're all very sad here. (laughs) No, Neil's awesome. I just worked with him recently. I said I need somebody to help me out because I had run out of stretch goals on the Deep Magic Kickstarter, right? It's like, well, who do I know who's... Oh, Neil. Yeah, Neil will deliver if he's available, right? He's Um, not too busy writing 2,000-word blog... I mean, uh, message board posts to answer simple (laughs) rules questions. (laughs) He does seem to be everywhere all the time. And if you could be a caffeine-fueled robot, that is also a point in your favor. Never sleeping. That can't help. And how many children does he have? It's crazy. He's got like three kids or something. Three or four. Jeez, I don't know how... Man, I don't know how he does it. Well, I keep saying he's dialing it back, but I don't (laughs) believe him. Yeah. (laughs) Because yeah. I Good say to be the prolific. same thing. Yeah. yeah. Um, all right, let's take a couple of questions. We've talked for about half our time with, like, anecdotes and options, but, but like, let's get down to cases and problems. I have a background largely in training and marketing writing. All right. Um, how can that translate over, and, and editing, I should say, as well, how can that translate over into the game industry? Because I'm trying to expand my focus. Uh-huh. Um, and write in various ways. Okay. Well, certainly it's easier to... Eh. Editors are more in demand than writers because there are okay. more people who want to write. So you might find that's an easier path if you have prior editing experience in particular and can point to samples. Um, but writing is certainly possible and and the sort of writing you're talking about, like marketing writing and training documents... Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, technical writing and games writing have a lot in common. Marketing writing tends to have more in common with, like, copywriting and PR, um, which games companies need, too, but it it tends to bleed more into the blogging world or reviews. Um, Actually, becoming a well-known reviewer is a weird little path. Yeah, that that is. Uh, You might consider writing a few reviews if they are... Well done. Yeah, if they're well done. Yeah, take them seriously. Like, you know. I mean, I see so many poorly done reviews. I'm always thankful to have a review, but I, I sort of feel disappointed when somebody reviews a product and they just say, chapter one is this, mm-hmm. chapter two is this, and it's 12 pages. No. It's like, uh, that's not really a review. It's sort of a book report. It's like, you know, what, what got you excited? What left you kind of cold? What was your emotional reaction? What was your reaction to the the themes, you know, what's your critique? 
And there's very little of that in, in reviews writing sometimes. It's more like, I liked it. Yeah, but why? Where um, can you actually post those? Post those. Uh, well, the best reviewers, obviously right, like super-powered reviewers have their own review sites. Mm -hmm. um, they blog daily on reviews. It's amazing. They review short subject mm -hmm. material. Um, okay. They also post heavily, and there are some like featured reviewers on Drive Through RPG, mm -hmm. um, where you can post anything that you've either purchased or gotten a free review copy from the publisher. Okay. Um, Maybe Board Game Geek. Board Game yeah, Geek is huge. RPG Net. Mm -hmm. RPG. Uh, there's a review section on En World, mm -hmm. and um, and then particular publisher. Uh, boards, right? Some of them are more about taking reviews than others. Like Paizo makes it easy to do Pathfinder reviews. Any uh, review. Yeah. Cobalt uh, Press actually doesn't have a dedicated review section, but our boards are small enough that, trust me, if there's a, a new topic on the forums with the word review in it, I will go read it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the other thing. Is a publisher wants to see what people think about their product. So if you are writing that, they're going to come back and look for it. But kind of the the, the caveat, I guess, also too is make sure that you have like a professional handle. Yeah. For the board. No one wants to see Mr. Giggles. Exactly. I learned that lesson from Adam Daigle actually very early on. I used to you know have a just a fleece six six was my and he had changed his. Matter of fact, Adam, for those of you who know Adam, showed up to his first Gen Con and his shirt said, "I'm Adam Daigle." Yeah. And he oh, and, and you know his his message board tag was just Adam Daigle, just his name. You don't have to have some fancy obscure name. I changed mine shortly thereafter. You know yeah. when I got involved, I was like, yeah, that, nobody knows who Fleece Six Six is, but you know, hey, I got my name on a book, so Brandon Hodge means name recognition counts for you. Yeah, it really does. So it's important and establish that early if you plan on moving forward. You know. Yep. Um, so reviews have the downside that then people think of you as. A reviewer, right, mm -hmm. and not necessarily a writer. So some write, as some reviewers do, also then go on to, to write or edit or do something else. Um, but others just like doing reviews. So uh, those are some options. I, there's not one pure way to crack up. Wait, no, I told you. Oh, sorry. Uh, and then maybe I should do those I would link every review I wrote back to cobaltpress.com or my personal Facebook or something. The, you said you have your own manuscript or something and you have your own site and you have some things that somebody can come and see and look at mm -hmm. because I bumped into somebody the one time who mentioned to me they got some gig with Disney and I was like, well, how did you get in touch with them? How did you whatever? And they said, today it's a whole new world. Yeah. You have your own website. They came to mind and they approached me because it was like, it sounds. I agree. I don't want to, you know, be douchey about this, but you're building your own brand at this point. Yes. You know, I, the the important everything you do in public, everything you do that's associated to your name, you want to make sure is professional, forthright, and honest. Yeah. And never, ever, ever be backstabby or snippy, or snippy, or snipey. Well, I don't know, or get into wonky. the mud with the trolls. Yeah. Just yeah. don't do it. Yeah, exactly. Because on the internet, there is absolutely no point in engaging with somebody who is an asshole. They're just going to drag you down. It will only reflect poorly on you. Yeah. 
So, so build build your brand and make sure that you know make sure that your brand is a professional. I get stuff done. Brand. Positive one. Yeah. Yes. All right. I have a question on submissions. Sure. Um, specifically with rule systems, like I know Paizo's rule system really well, but everybody's got a slightly different rule system, and it's hard to find time to learn them all to make submissions. Yeah. What is your best suggestion for that? Uh, focus on two or three yeah, you like your favorite three. Yeah. I mean, I've only written for one, two, three, four, five rule systems over a long career. Well, unless you count different editions of D&D as different, and I don't, but, you know, it, it, you really only have so much time and so much mental capacity for rule systems. Some people can master six or a dozen, but then they're spending all their time learning new rule systems instead of generating new material. I mean, how many systems have we all written for? Ben, I know you wrote for a bunch. Uh, Still are writing for a bunch. Two, well, two or three. Two. Well, and again, unless you want to count different editions, and I, I don't, I don't want to do that. Yeah. I try, and, and, and <clears throat> I would second it. I tried actually one time. I wanted to write. Uh, we had a, a Call of Cthulhu project, and I tried to pitch for it. And, and I know, I mean, I've read a lot of Cthulhu, and I've, I've played some games, but I had never tried designing for Cthulhu before. And and it showed in my pitch. Right, because we had used a, um, it was one of the cases where we, a bunch of pitches went up and they all were compared, and, and, and the people who were part of the project voted on the pitches. It's very sad when your pitch only has one vote, <laughs> and it's and, yours. And it's yours. Oh, no. You like to love, you like to love your pitches equally, but pitches are not all the same. But that's that's the case. I did not have that yet. You know, I hadn't quite cracked the code on doing Call of Cthulhu. Adventures compared to a Pathfinder adventure or an Orange Magic adventure, right. and it showed. <clears throat> but I'd, I'd argue strongly that even if you are a huge whatever Pathfinder, Shadowrun, whatever game is your passion, even if you're a huge fan of one system, you should learn at least one other yes. um, that you'd want to work for because you know the industry changes. Uh, there have been times when certain companies are very open to taking freelance submissions. And like, hey, freelance, we're on a hot streak. We'll, we're looking for talent, right? And there's other times when they shut the doors and say, yeah, we have a new staff writer who's pretty much taking care of our needs. Thank you very much, right? And then what happens if Companies like Chaosium now are publishing yeah. what amounts to... I mean, I don't say this in any way poorly or offensively, but basically fan content. Yes. You know, you go to their website and they are publishing soft covers of all kinds of obscure subjects for their BRP system. Everything from, you know, crazy wild west to Arctic exploration and that's basically just freelancer content that's giving given a fairly quick editing pass. I understand yeah. that the, you know, maybe it's not given the same editorial scrutiny as their main releases uh, yeah. to the consternation of many, but not, you know, still it's like, hey, yeah, I wrote a I wrote a published book for BRB. Yeah, not every system is uh, really complicated either. I mean, not everything mm -hmm. is as you know as as intensive as D and D or or Paizo or Pathfinder. You know, I mean, there's uh, there's fate. You know, that's that's relatively easy. Deadlands relatively easy. I, yep, Savage Worlds. Yeah, yeah. And all of those have active, thriving communities, right? Which you may or may not be familiar with. But if you go out and look for Savage Worlds or Fate, you're gonna find. Oh my God, there's a whole bunch of people here. Um, 
Of course, yeah, and be part of that community. If you plan on working for that community, please become a part of it. And as aforementioned, make sure your real name is known in that. You know, you can build up a reputation on the message boards before you ever submit anything. Exactly, because getting your name out there makes you a more attractive, a uh, more attractive hire. Because people will say, "Oh, this," you get the name recognition. Yeah, so. and you've been really cool on the message boards, yeah. as opposed to you're that asshole. Yeah, you know. Oh, you're the guy who tears people down and calls right. everybody stupid. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I'll bet you're going to sell a lot to our dedicated mm -hmm. fan base. Exactly. Can you uh, describe what a good manuscript represents or what a good manuscript is? If I like walk up to you and go, here's my work, would you read it? Find a thousand-page document? <laughs> well, I wouldn't take a whole unsolicited manuscript to start with, right? Yeah. Well, I would say... First off, a good manuscript is short. Yeah. <laughs> so it's short. And, and usually a good manuscript is uh, preceded by a, a query, a, you know, do you have any interest in this work? Um, because if you send me three paragraphs about it and I say, oh, yeah, uh, we've got that in the works, we're publishing that in January, then, you know, it doesn't matter how good your manuscript is. I've already bought somebody else's manuscript on the same topic. So it's always worth your time to just sort of put out, well, here's what I'm, what I'm working on, and it's, it's close to done, but let me give you the pitch and, and sort of set it up. Um, the other good thing, I mean, yeah, short is nice, especially with somebody new. My first instinct is to say, what small projects do I have lying around that I could assign to this new person? And it won't, I mean, I usually will say, well, that's a nice pitch, but would you write this other thing for me first, right? Mm -hmm. Like, oh, man, I really need somebody to do three blog entries on this thing. Or I have this little PDF that's just about armor and weapons, but, uh, you know, it's a specialized thing, and can you tackle it? Um, I really don't take pitches for brand new content that often. Um, it needs to be, you need to have a track record, right? Yeah. If you've got to you work your way into the mix. Right, if Brandon says, hey, I've got a brand new variant magic system for you, I won't say, well, Brandon, I don't know, can you write some blog entries first? I'll say, oh my God, Brandon, when can you have that ready? And then I won't turn it in. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, we've been working together for a while, and I know the quality of his work, and, and I most likely be interested in, in the topic unless, and this can happen even to established pros, right? Um, unless I say, oh my God, Brandon, I can't believe it. Somebody else yeah. pitched me ben, almost ben that. Ben just wrote that. Ben wrote that. Actually, Sorry. <laughs> I actually remember <clears throat> short hand, Brandon came to, to Wolfgang and was like, I have this great idea for an adventure <laughs> and it, it's with an alchemist in a manner. <laughs> And there, there's... And it was an awesome pitch. It was. And yeah. I had to say, Nick Logue wrote that. <laughs> yeah. And actually, that brings up a good point I wanted to talk about earlier in, in the contest. And it, it's a, a cautionary tale to RPG Superstar. And oh, yeah. if there's freelancers in the room, I apologize to use you as an example. But um, for those of you familiar with my, my first Paizo, it's a collaboration with Open Design and Paizo. It's an adventure called Shore to Sea. It's a 32-page module for Paizo. Yeah. And... Um, it is based on H.P. Lovecraft, Shadows of Grinsmith, and, and uh, written for the Pathfinder system. And in, I think a couple of years ago, maybe three years ago, RPG Superstar guy gets to the last round. He's top four. His 400 or 600 word pitch is From Shore to Sea which had been published a year at that point. Yeah. I mean, it was just this adventure based on Shadows Over Innsmouth. There's going to be this tiny village, and they're interbreeding with the Deep Ones off the coast, and then there's this island, and it's got these ruins on it, and they're going to go explore this. 
The uh, poor guy. Not only did he miss a huge opportunity because he was kind of the front runner up to that point, yes. but it, he got eviscerated. I mean, for not knowing the, what the publisher had already, you know. I mean, it was a very uh, highly prominent adventure when it came out, yes. and it only been, you know, it, it was still fresh on everyone's mind. And uh, this poor guy just didn't know that. And, and it'd be different if it was something in the works. Oh, but it was out. It gotten great press. It was everywhere. And this poor guy just didn't see it. And cr- crashed and burned, and it, it was really, really unfortunate. And because he was, he was really kicking ass on that. And, and piggybacking that? from that too is, if you do end up working with a publisher in their space, um, the, the it, it's a good idea to uh, I think is it Dave Gross who said not do not blow up the moon oh, right when right. you're in the shared space. Don't make your pitch immediately modify the basic premises of, their world. of the world you're pitching to. You know, don't change the ma- nature of magic in Ars Magica. Right. right. Don't define what happened to Aridan. Don't define what happened don't to Aridan. Don't destroy Magnamore. Right. Oh, wait. <laughs> <laughs> You've got to do that. With permission, yes. right? <laughs> but but don't pull out the supports um, in a in an early pitch. You know, later on they may let you blow up big continents and and things like that. But as an early career freelancer, you want to sort of play small ball rather than campaign-altering events uh, for the most part. And have fundamental understandings of, of those aspects. I know we get a lot of Wasted West pitches, which is a popular aspect of the Midgard campaign setting, and yeah. my personal baby. And I read these pitches, and I'm like, they don't get, get, it. get it at all. Like they, they take all the crazy... There's bits of crazy Gonzo in there, and they take them all... Let's kind of smash them together into this little condensed pitch, and you're like, yeah, too too strong. Too yeah, just too much. Like, take one of those. One of those is enough for, you know, an entire picture. Yeah. It is. Wolfgang, can you talk about um, what would be a good pitch for the Mahala Well, they're adventure pitches, and the guidelines are deliberately vague. Um, the first time we ran it, it was so vague, we said, well, I don't think we care so much about the level. Uh, it doesn't, you can set it in the Midgard campaign setting. It's an option, but not required. You can set it anywhere else. Um, and we said, uh, you know, Pathfinder rule system, very popular among our fans, but if you wanted to run something with Dragon Age and pitch for Dragon Age, uh, we'd look at that. Uh, so, and beyond that, we didn't say, well, what's in the pitch, right? Because part of what these contests do is, is sort of weed out people who are going to say, well, I went through the bestiary and I chose my 15 monsters, and here's my monsters, and here's my treasure catalog, and here's my, you know, and it's like, well, that's, that's not a pitch, that's a list of items that appear in your adventure. Um, what we want is like a great title, we want a great first line, we want uh, something that sells the concept to uh, anybody who reads it and, and makes them say, yeah, I want to play that thing. Um, and then we want some idea of well, what are the players actually doing, right? So that's the key right there. Yes. I have that on. Adam Daigle gave me that. That's what I felt won me my first pitch with Open Design. Adam yeah. Daigle said, "I said, you know, how do I do the same question you just asked?" And he says, "Brandon, what do the players do? Yeah. Not I've got this crazy, crazy lineage for you know this, the the lords of this kingdom. Nobody cares about the background. What are the players going to experience? And I wrote on a post-it, "What do the players do?" And I stuck it on my laptop, and 
and that's and just, that is the that, key that, question. The part. Yeah, because everybody as a game master is like, oh, we're into history and background, and how does this world get spun up? And you know, we write whole world building kind of guides yeah, and write, say writing fluff is fun, but I mean, people aren't but it's playing not a the pitch. game for the fluff. Yeah. yeah, people people play games for the fun. I mean, people, I we're writing for the players. Right. You want to write for the players, mm-hmm. and if you don't do something for the players, people are going to be like, "Well, that's cool, but that's an awesome history." Yes. Mm-hmm. Where's the action? Exactly. Yeah, I think the history limit on a Paizo manuscript is either a thousand or fifteen hundred words. Out of thirty-two I mean, pages. Out of yeah, 32. out of thirty-two pages. Uh, out of a 32,000 page yeah. manuscript, you get about a thousand of those that's for background. That's a lot of pages. <laughs> no, not, not hey, word count. Sorry, words. I'm sticking to word count. 30, 32,000 uh, words, 1,000 of those. Yeah, so. It's background, background and history, which is actually two different things. So, proportionally, then, like in a 400 word pitch, that'd be about, you know, 3%. Yeah. Uh, honestly, when, when keep it short. Down, yeah, when we sat down and, and did Valhalla calling, because I help, I help judge the Valhalla calling pitches. And the tough part about pitches is that you can almost see, they just. They go into the background, and it's just, it's just this rabbit hole that once they begin to go down the rabbit hole of background, the action goes away. Mm-hmm. I don't know what the adventure is about. I don't know where they're going, what they're doing, because they're they're telling me about a house and a... And a the deal is there's yeah. this troll, and this troll's mother was very unkind to him. Yeah. And, oh, well, his no. mother descended from actually a half-barbarian. Oh, no, no, no. And, and then the next. last sentence is, oh, and the players have to go find him, you right. know, and crammed in. the next patch. no. Stick to yep. stick to the action. Tell me what's going on. Chase chase what's happening in that adventure. If you can work your background into those actions, that takes that takes more time. You know, those pitches take longer to write because they have to be better craft. On a four hundred word pitch, don't waste a hundred words telling me how we got there. Yeah, we'll assume he got there. Yeah, because yeah. you're we're here, mm-hmm. right? We're here. We're we're going on the adventure, hopefully. But it it's it's a distinction between adventure pitches and anything else, though, yeah. right? Adventures are all about the action. Yeah. If you're pitching something like a new spell system, sure. well, it's not really about the action. No, it's still what the players can do with it is important. Yes, um, but it requires a different sort of pitch. So, I mean, I kind of put adventure pitches in their own category, sure. they require different skills. They do. Um, but, you know, Pathfinder Society publishes a ton of them. Uh, Cobalt Press is known for doing a lot of adventures. Um, it's a fairly big chunk of the RPG market, so it's worth knowing that set. Um, even though freelancers tend to specialize, like somebody's the monster guy, somebody's the character class stuff, somebody else is doing adventures, you know. One guy likes mechanics. Yeah. Another guy likes... Give me the narrative, yeah. yeah. Okay. Question? Yeah. Yeah, um, since uh, many writers and editors get rejected, how do you turn rejection into an opportunity? Uh. Depends on the kind of rejection you get. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you're just getting the form slip that's no feedback, then you say, okay, well, obviously I've got to make this more interesting. You know, it's, or you it's, say, i got to do something else, right? Yeah. This, this yeah. pitch didn't work. Throw it away, start over. Right. Um, I, I I submitted a, a fiction story. This is you know this is similar. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not exactly not exactly the same. But I su- submitted a fiction story to a couple of fantasy magazines. One of them gave me back the the form letter slip, and I was like, 
this is absolutely not useful to me in developing this story. And another one wrote a letter back saying, you know, there's some really nice writing here, but I'm afraid it didn't hold my interest. And I was like, okay, now that I can work with. Right. Because, you know. I got to deal with pacing and the hook and okay. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, at the very end, he did a nice little tagline saying, oh, and by the way, I love Birthright. Uh, you know, I, was like, I was like, well, thank you. And, uh, you know, it, it taught, it, it showed me that A, he, you know, had read my stuff. It told me that he had read the story. And the fact that it didn't hold his interest, I was like, okay, now I know that, you know, there's got to be so much more I can do here to build up the excitement, to build up the tension, uh, that now I can actually publish the story. Right. And, and never, never get rid of the pitches. No. Like put, as I like to say, put them in your back pocket, right? This time it didn't work. Put it in your back pocket, take it out and polish it another time, you know, because, for instance, I had, a, I had an adventure pitch that I that I'd put up for, for a project in, like, 2009, and no one liked it. Like, seriously, nobody liked it at all. But I really liked the idea for the adventure, and I had worked on it, polished it a couple of times. I actually submitted it, I think, three times yeah. <laughs> over the course of... Of the of the project, and I just I couldn't get them to couldn't get everybody to, to vote it in, and then and it just didn't make it. So then I, I set it aside, and then we had another anthology came up later on, different you know same world, different project, and we needed pitches to give it a try. Mm-hmm. And I and I took that pitch out. And I'm like you know I still really like this one, so I'm gonna give it another shot. Maybe they'll like it better this time. It's been three years, what was it, it was like four years later, right? Maybe they'll like it this time. And this time they did, right? Yeah. This time it, it totally crushed in the in the pitches because I'd had the time to look at it and bring it back. But I, I really liked it. If you really like the idea... You can stick with a, a thing, but I would warn freelancers generally, you know, if the first thing isn't working... By all means, keep it around for later. Right. But but don't like rabbit hole on the one thing right. that you are sure you're gonna do. Like if you're convinced this monster is the greatest. Well, hey, you know, I, it certainly it's not like because there were several projects yeah. in between. All I'm saying is have six things up in the air. Right. right? Yeah. But sometimes it, sometimes it's fickle, right? Because we had just wrapped Shore to Sea, so we're talking about the next open design project. Wolfgang and I both pitch. We tied for dead last. Yes, we did. The publisher and the guy who just ran the previous project tied for dead, and of course, they're anonymous pitches, yeah. tied for dead last. Uh, so, you know, anonymous of course, you bet Paizo's going to publish that Alchemist in the Manor House adventure, but <laughs> they didn't publish Blood of the Gorgon. They've been yeah, talking the, to Nick Logan. The, 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 the rejection, you know, I mean, it might just be because the guy was having a bad day. Yeah. You know, the editor's having a bad day and just turned it down. If it's a setting agnostic thing turn it or a rules or setting agnostic thing turn it into somebody else yeah. what they say you know maybe you'll actually get real feedback on it yeah um yeah. somebody might have a problem with alchemists yeah. or manor houses I, or who knows exactly. you can let somebody else see it exactly somebody else might you know one person turns you down somebody else says oh this is brilliant i'm totally going to publish this how much do you want for it mm-hmm. you know I just you know i the the important thing is persistence somebody turns you down don't be like oh i'm never going to make I'm it give up you know, I mean, all of this stuff, I mean, all of us up here... The, Been persistent. The, yeah, the, the thing that we have in common is that all of us have kept working at it. Yep. Oh, no, I've been kicked in the teeth like that, oh, that pitch. Oh, yeah. uh, my second pitch, my first pitch to Dungeon Magazine ever went through, was accepted. I was like, oh, that was easy. Wow, cool, I'll keep doing this. I sent my second pitch in, they sent it back, right? No, no interest at all. 
crushed me. I'm like, ah, oh. <laughs> I thought it was easy. You just sent them a pitch and they published it. Eh, it was great. Oh, I didn't uh, realize I, how unusual that was. I, I sent a pitch to one Wolf and I were both working at TSR. I sent a pitch to him for a Planescape mm-hmm. adventure and he wrote back, he's like, eh, this isn't going to work. No, that's like, that. you son of a bitch, we're friends. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I have 50,000 readers who are going to tell me it doesn't work, exactly. right? <laughs> So, yeah, editors can be fairly merciless because they're guarding the interests of the like publisher. The, <laughs> uh, I don't know. Uh, the interests of the publisher and right the now. interests of uh, the readership, right? They're trying to get the best stuff they can into their publication. And, uh, and Friendship what, doesn't enter into it. Well, it no, shouldn't. it's business. Yeah, it, I, it, you've got a broader audience. I and mean, if you're saying, I'm going to do this for my friends, then your audience is your friends. Then you're a fanzine, and that's okay. But just realize yeah. that... But it's if there the are people who are advertising, you have a duty to your advertisers. You have a duty to the people who are buying this to make sure that the people who are being published are the very best possible ones that are in there. And yep, and it's the same with collaborative yeah. blogs like uh, Gnome Stew, right? They mm-hmm. they get their best writers, they put their best foot forward every time, and they, they wind up doing huge stuff. Well, that's the reason why you build a personal relationship with an editor. It's not just because, oh, hey, we're friends now, we're going to go hang out and get a beer. It's because they say... This person is awesome, and I know this person routinely turns in quality work. And yep. that's the importance of a personal relationship. All right, we have talked at you for quite a while. You've had some awesome questions, but we are out of time, and we have deadlines of our own. So thank you for coming. Get to work. Thank you.